This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Again, the scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 8 through 20. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then you know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Okay, I want to start by asking you a question this morning. How many of you can name your favorite song? It can be any song. Favorite song. The song that you look forward to hearing on the radio. The song that you play over and over and over again. Back in the days of records, you'd wear the groove down and it would just skip. How many of you can remember? How many of you know your favorite song? Raise your hand. Okay, don't be, that's okay. No wrong answer here, but many of you can. All right. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you can name your favorite sermon? The best sermon you've ever heard. Hmm. Couple of you, okay. Uh, I remember a sermon. And uh, there have been a few in my uh, lifetime as a Christian that I, I remember. And usually I remember them because... Uh, uh, the pastor made some audacious statement or there was some great illustration, but there was just something that touched me um, that stayed with me. And uh, there's one sermon, of all the sermons I've ever heard, there's one that I'll never forget. Uh, it was on a, a mission Sunday, not unlike this Sunday. And uh, the worship team played a, a beautiful, beautiful worship song in preparation for 
the guest speaker, uh, a man from Africa, a missionary that our church supported, um, to come forward. And he came forward, and, and I'll never forget, he began just by praising the worship team. He said, you know, I traveled to, to churches all through your country and other countries, uh, and I hear a lot of a wonderful worship music, and I just want to commend um, this worship team, the choir. Uh, what a beautiful, wonderful song. And how it just blessed my heart this morning. Of course, we're all smiling and going, oh, it's great. Our church has great worship and this man's commending us. But then he said this, and these are the words I'll never forget. He said, and yet as wonderful as that worship and praise is, let me share with you the most powerful praise I've ever heard. And he began to make noises. Ah! Oh! Please! God! Jesus! Stop! Please! Help me! Ah! I was stunned just like you are. And he said, the most wonderful praise I've ever heard are the sounds of men and women, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in prison cells next to mine, who in the midst of torture and beatings, refused to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And their cries of pain And they're shouting out and calling upon the Lord for help. Were the most beautiful sounds of worship that I've ever heard. And then he went on to share how as a a pastor and missionary in his country in Africa, how he and other followers of Jesus had been arrested and imprisoned and tortured for their faith in Christ. But all the faithful saints, how they refused to renounce their faith. Question this morning is why live with pain in an Advil age? Are you an Advil Christian? I know I am. I want to avoid pain. Uh, If there is a way that I can avoid it, get around it, somehow not have to experience it, that's my predisposition. That's, That's my inclination. How about you? And yet in that sermon that I remembered, it had to have been 30 years ago or longer. Or in our passage today, uh, we see uh, Peter and John, rather than avoiding, or rather than living as Advil Christians, they're facing it head on. 
Why would anyone want to do that? It's interesting, when we talk about coming to faith in Jesus and the life transformation that takes place in our lives when, when Jesus comes and lives in us, um, the forgiveness of sin, the new life, the promise of eternal life, when we think about those things, you know, that, that's all the good stuff. But, but do we think about living into pain for Christ? Standing for our faith, not avoiding it, but announcing to all people in all places the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ, regardless of the outcome. Are we willing to do that? And that's the question that, that I'm challenged with as we approach our passage today. Because what we're going to see here today in Scripture, what we've read, is that uh, living for Christ, walking with Christ, faithfully being on mission for Christ, continuing His mission and His message in our world, has consequences. Not everyone is going to respond with open arms. In fact, on the contrary. And maybe you've experienced in your own life this reality. That there are some who are going to respond adversely. What do we do when that happens? It shouldn't come as a surprise to us. I'm, I'm thinking as we read through this passage what Peter and John must have been thinking. How when they faced adversity and there was opposition to the message of the Gospel, how the words of Jesus must have come back to them. How they must have been reminded of, of what Jesus had said to them in Matthew 5, uh, 11 through 12. And uh, the Servant on the Mount, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you too are going to receive persecution. And then Luke 12 11 through 12. And, and, and this is exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen. And here it is. We're reading about it this morning. And, and, and oh, how they must have thought to themselves. They must have remembered one of the memorable teachings of Jesus. Oh, this is what Jesus was talking about as they were dragged in before the ruling council in Jerusalem. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And of course, in the context of our passage, that's exactly what happens. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter gives an account for the hope that lies within him. Peter gives an explanation of how the man was healed. And it's in that explanation that the authorities react against them. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a wonderful pastor and a martyr for the faith, um, he says, when God calls a person, He bids them come and die. Now that death can take many forms and it can mean many things. But in other words, what it's saying is that the, the life we live 
in the flesh, well, we no longer live on our own, as the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians. But it's Christ who lives in us. And as our King, He has the right to, to reign and rule in our lives and send us as missionaries into our world to take His message. And how do we respond to the adversity when that message is given? Jim Elliott, a man who was martyred for faith, he was a missionary in South America, and uh, he was killed by the indigenous people that he had gone to share Christ with. He said it this way, A person is no fool to give up what they cannot keep for that which they cannot lose. In other words... His life, even if it cost him his life, it's a worthy expenditure because he knows in the end he has eternal life. And he was willing to to take that risk and it cost him his life. But but what we see here and, and what really agitates the Sadducees and the ruling council, we see in verse 2 of chapter 4. It says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were giving the gospel message. Now, the Sadducees were one of the ruling religious parties there in Jerusalem. And of all the religious parties, they were... Most approximately, uh, they most approximated the, the, the secular religionists. Uh, they were very politically astute. They were a powerful group. And uh, at this time, they really maintained the, the, the power within even the temple structure. They, they were pretty powerful people. But you see, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, unlike the Pharisees who did. The Pharisees theologically held out the resurrection as a future hope. But the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They didn't teach a resurrection. And so here, a person is healed, the temple grounds, and people are responding, people are coming to faith, and they're agitated. Because they're proclaiming in Jesus the one who they had brought to trial, the one who they had thought, we're done with him. He's finished. Our problem is over. Here now are Peter and John and his followers proclaiming in Jesus the very thing that they don't believe in and they're against. The resurrection of the dead. Do you see that? I mean, it's like in your face. And we see here, ultimately, it's, it's not only the resurrection of the dead, but it's in Jesus' name. Now, why is that important? Because remember last week we talked about that anything done in the name of Jesus is the same in the meaning here in the text, would be the same in the ancient world as the person whose name it's being done in. So literally, what they're saying is, it's Jesus who did this. We're just the instruments. 
We're the vehicles through which Jesus does this. But it's Jesus Himself that's doing that. So now, let me ask you this question. Do you realize that anything you do in the name of Jesus, as a man or woman who is a follower of Jesus, it's literally Jesus by His power, by His authority, by His Spirit that's doing that through you. You see, that's the rub here with the religious leaders. That as we continue His mission and as we take His message into our world, we do so in the name of and by the authority of the One who has called us to do that. And He literally does it through us. It's Jesus. Because Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. Jesus lives in you and me. And He continues His mission and message through us. So there's three things I want to call your attention to in this passage this morning that reflect the reality of the living Christ in our lives. And we can see it here in the lives of Peter and John. The first is the words of Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, which he also mentions again, Peter does, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-8. through 8. The stones you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's the one. And then here it is, verse 12. Are you ready? This is the verse. This is the message that's going to get you in lots of trouble. Okay? It's like petting the cat backwards. <laughs> Going to get you in a lot of trouble. Here it is. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved. Must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Now we live in a society when it is... Uh, in vogue to say, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways to God and, you know, you can find salvation in a lot of different teachings and ways of living. And that's very non-confrontational. It's very inclusive. And that, I mean, that is just kind of the mantra of the culture we live in today. We live in a pluralistic society, don't we? But when you say there's salvation in no other name and there's no other name on heaven or earth through which you must be saved other than that of Jesus. Now, we distinguish ourselves, don't we? Now, we get the pushback. And you know what? We should expect that. Because the age in which we're living in today is much like the age that Peter and John and the first followers of Jesus found themselves in. And so, the words of Jesus are present in their life. The truth of the Gospel the message of the kingdom. They're testifying about the truth. 
And in this we see truth's power. We see truth's glory that Jesus is Messiah. He is the promised one of Israel. He is the King. He is the only means through which we can be saved. We can be reconciled to God. Truth's power, truth's glory, and truth's message. John 14.6. Are you ready? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, you know what? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus' words are in me. Jesus speaks His word through me. The words of Jesus. And then we see the wonders of Jesus. Verses 13 through 18. And, and when we talk about the wonders of Jesus, it's the impression of the truth. When people see it and they respond to it. And they have various types of responses as we see here. In verse 13 of chapter 4, we see astonishment. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus changes our lives. We're not the same people after we met Him as before we met Him. And the question is, do people look at us and are they astonished? And they say, my goodness, he or she has been with Jesus. That's the reason for the difference in their lives. Astonishment. They were astonished that these were ordinary men. And then there's perplexity in verse 14. But since they could see the man who was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They were perplexed. What are we going to do about this? We're confronted with, with witness to the truth of who Jesus is. And we are perplexed. What do we do with Jesus? And do you know that's the question that everyone who hears the name of Jesus is faced with? What are we going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't allow us to do nothing with Him. He calls us to belief. And then there's the predicament. Verses 16 through 18. The predicament. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. You know what? There are people who may deny Jesus, but they can't deny the reality of what He's done in your life and my life. When they see how we live, when they say the way we are willing to give our lives away for the sake of others in service, when they see how we love one another, when they see the difference in their lives, they can't deny the difference. We announce Jesus, the Word of Jesus in us, but we demonstrate Jesus in how we live. That is undeniable. And so there are the words of Jesus, there's the wonders of Jesus. And then there are the ways of Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. But when Peter and John replied, they were told that you can't speak or teach in the name of Jesus. You can't do this anymore. But it says that Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to Him? 
You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The ways of Jesus. That they were compelled by the truth. They couldn't help but share. The reality would have changed their lives with others. The call on their life. Living in the power and authority of Jesus' name. That they began to mirror and reflect Jesus Himself and how they lived and how they embraced, how they engaged their world. And the question for you and for me is this. Do we reflect Jesus? Do people see Jesus' ways in us? Are we compelled to live for Him and stand in His Word? Do our lives... Are the wonders of Jesus seen in our lives? And are the ways of Jesus and our relationships evident for all? Why live with pain in an Advil age? Because we're compelled. Because more than anything, it's the love of Jesus in our lives and our gratefulness to Him that causes us to be willing to live for Him and to pay the cost, whatever that might be. And oh, that our lives might reflect the words of Jesus, the wonders of Jesus, and the ways of Jesus. When I was 17 years old, I went to a a Christian conference and there was a man that came out, one of the largest men I'd ever seen. He was built like a a fire plug. His name was Paul Anderson. And there was a chair on the stage and he walked out and he sat down and on either side of the chair were these two huge dumbbells, probably more than I could bench press at age 17. And he took and he began to do curls with them. And then he threw them down onto the stage and the whole place just shook. And he said, my name is Paul Anderson and I'm the world's strongest man. But I'd be nothing without Jesus Christ in my life. And then he went on to share a passage that became a life passage for me. I didn't understand it fully then, but I understand it better now. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's my encouragement to you as you leave here today to carry on the mission mission and message of Jesus. That it's Jesus doing it in you and through you. That anything you do in Jesus' name, it's Jesus. It's the same as Jesus doing it Himself. And you do it in His power and His authority. And wherever He calls you to, whether it's the streets of Eagle River, whether it's the bush in Alaska, whether it's to go to Africa with the Smiths, wherever it is, know this, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Where He guides He provides and He'll give you all that you need when you need it to do what He's called you to do. We see it in the pages of Scripture and we see it in the lives of faithful men and women who trust Him. Yes, and are even willing to live in pain for His name's sake 
in an Avil age. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for challenge of your word. We thank you for the privilege of naming the name of Jesus. And we know that it can be like petting the cat backward in a pluralistic society in which we live. And yet, Lord, help us not to retreat. Help us not to avoid, but help us to to live with pain and to, to pay the cost if you call us to, knowing that it will be you who will give us the words and the strength, the power and the authority to live for you and to name your name. For we believe that there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. May we have courage and conviction and maybe be compelled to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.